the year is 2021. As the world faces threats of both a pandemic and rampant stupidity, the future of movie theaters and film itself begins to look uncertain. Amid the chaos, two film geeks try to make sense of it all. When all hope seems lost for our pair of cinephiles, a beacon of light shines in the distance. A trailer so beautiful, so insane, and so over the top that it might just be the film to pull our heroes from their malaise. That film is Godzilla vs. Kong. Our nerdy duo sees this as a call to arms and embarks on a journey that few would dare, with one a seasoned Godzilla expert and the other an optimistic newcomer. Together, they will take the franchise head-on, watching all 35 Godzilla films in a time span few mortals could manage, all leading up to the grand finale of Godzilla vs. Kong. Join them as they escape to Monster Island. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our surprise two-parter of Escape to Monster Island. So this episode where we tackled the Heisei era of the Godzilla movies ended up being a little bit longer than we expected. So my name's Wes Skinner, as always, and this is Josh Lapierre. Hello, Josh. Hello, I'm the editor, and I much appreciate us not having to edit a four-hour clip. (laughs) Yeah, it got to a point where I was like, I am not going to make Josh do all of this. So last episode, we ended with our thoughts on Godzilla versus Mothra. This one, we're going to go into the next movie, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. So we hope you guys enjoy so much, and thanks for listening. All right, so on to Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 1993, or known here in the U.S. as Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. In order to counter the threat posed by Godzilla, the United Nations Godzilla Countermeasure Center has completed the ultimate anti-Godzilla weapon, Mechagodzilla. On the radiation-polluted Ando Island, scientists discover a perfectly intact pterodon egg only to be attacked by its nestmate, the giant mutated pteranodon, Rodan. Godzilla arrives as well to claim the egg, allowing the scientists to escape with it as Godzilla and Rodan fight. When the egg hatches into a baby Godzillasaurus rather than a pteranodon, G-Force intends to use the infant as bait to lure Godzilla to the Ogasawara Islands, where he can be killed by Mechagodzilla. However, Rodan throws a wrench into the plan when he intercepts the convoy carrying baby Godzilla, setting up the final battle between himself, Godzilla, and Mechagodzilla near Makuhari Bay. Spoilers, but this is one of my all-time favorites from the Heisei era. This is also the first Heisei-era film I've ever seen. I was like 10, 11 when I got it and fell in love with that movie. It definitely confused me because, you know, it's the fifth one in the Heisei-era. So I was a little, I was like, why was there a, why is there a robot Mecha King Ghidorah? And this being the era with the most consistency, definitely so it, jarring, I'm sure. And with it being called Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, I'm like, this has nothing to do with the one from the 70s. So it confused my little, my little brain. What are some of your favorite elements of it? Like what makes it different from uh, the um, others and what kind of sets it apart for you? I think this has to do with the fact that this is the most like Godzilla screen time, I think, in any of the films. That's true. There's a lot of, a lot of Godzilla. You get a whole heap and yeah, hunk of Godzilla. He shows up 14 minutes into the movie, and I think that is the quickest we've ever gotten to Godzilla in a Godzilla movie, outside of him like being in the beginning credits and stuff, and that's it. I made a note of that. Yeah, he, he comes right out there. Yeah, so doesn't Rodan at friggin' 11 minutes. True, true. So yeah, the movie's like, we're going to start off, we're going to start off right. And yeah. I did like that fight between Rodan and Godzilla a lot. That was actually a really good fight. So I was highly anticipating this movie because I know that 
Mechagodzilla, or at least from what I could tell, Mechagodzilla has a limited number of appearances in the franchise. And I really enjoyed the first Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Wasn't crazy about terror, but was looking forward to seeing another iteration of him, seeing a new suit of him. I will say that overall with this movie, I think it kind of is the representation for me, kind of the culmination of this era's affinity for American blockbuster films. And this one felt the most like a modern American blockbuster, where it's fast-paced. There's not a ton of substance outside the action. Everything, every character, every plot piece is used to just sort of forward, just climb that ladder to get to the next action set piece. And while that can be very fun and entertaining, and there are some really cool ideas here in the action sense, I did think that overall it left me a little hollow after having watched the last two, which, you know, you had Ghidorah, which had so many crazy bells and whistles to its story, but was kind of charming in that way, because even if it didn't always work, it was just constantly taking risks. Where And then you had Mothra, which was pretty emotionally resonant in almost a surprising way, while being pretty action-packed. So I feel like after feeling like I had had my cake and eaten it too with Mothra, this time I just felt a little overstuffed and just like it was just a bunch of sugar and I was just sitting there full and sick. And by the end of it, I did kind of feel like I could have used a little less monster action and a little more character stuff. I think there's some creative ideas. At first, I was a little skeptical about the lead character being a Pteranodon enthusiast. But I was like, wow, I guess we're, uh, we really got tired of reporters and scientists. So let's get creative. I eventually really approved of that and liked that because he was a very eccentric, weird character. And I feel like he fit in in the same way that the writer fit in in Godzilla vs. Ghidorah. I also kind of appreciated the idea of the G-Force being sort of this almost Voltron-like comic book you know group teaming up however i wish that they were all fleshed out a little more that was kind of an element i wish was explored more is kind of like this team sort of learning to work together i think that would have made me a little more invested in mechagodzilla being a creation of man this time and being piloted by people but yeah overall i think visually i really liked it like you said the rodan is just fucking awesome in this movie he's his design is really cool i feel like he was the one design from the showa era that kind of you know aside from some of the goofy godzilla suits i wasn't crazy about like i mean i'm crazy about early angiris early mothra you know gigan all those but rodan i was like he was the one i was like i can't wait to see later iterations of him. and this movie did not disappoint in that regard. However, I do feel like he was kind of shoehorned into this plot. They very strangely don't explain why he's hatched in an egg next to baby Godzilla egg, which is another plot point of this movie, which was a surprise. (laughs) But yeah, how did you feel about this version of baby Godzilla as opposed to your boy Minya? All right. So one thing I do want to mention is we did a watch along for this. So we were also talking throughout this movie as well. Yes, that's a good point. So once per arrow, we're going to watch one together. We decided after we kind of incidentally did that for the first one with Godzilla versus Hedorah, we figured this time we'd... So thank you for mentioning that. I forgot to mention yeah, that. Of yeah, of course, of course. This, this is the one of the Heisei era that we did watch together. With this watch along, we were, like I was saying, we talked over some stuff. And I hate having to be like, I'm the defender of this movie and everything. But they do mention that it was a parasitic egg that Rodan, that there are birds in real life that will, you know, use other birds' nests. And they have an offhand reference to that. And I feel like that was probably one of the parts we talked over. That's fair. I mean, 
I mean, yeah, it's kind of a shoehorned reason, but at least sure. they gave one. Sure, that's fair. I did. You're right. I did miss that, so I apologize. But I did feel like it's still even even knowing that there's an excuse for it. There's something that happens in the next movie that's pretty reminiscent of that. That I was like, wait, so why? And but we'll get we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I think right. that that one was an even more distracting. In the next movie, that one was an even more distracting uh, thing. But we'll we'll definitely talk about that. All but, right, yeah. Well, I'm curious what you have to say about that. But for Rodan, I friggin' love his design as well. That is a very good one. This is also the only time he was strictly operated by puppetry. There was no man in a suit for this one. That makes sense because he is particularly felt. He's very like slick and sleek and thin so it would be impressive if they were able to yeah. somehow squeeze a dude in there yeah so this is the, it's weird this is the only era he was also a puppet so it's interesting i just realized that and his, his best look so far for me yeah i agree well i'm still pretty uh biased towards the very original 1956 rodan design i thought that one looked pretty good i haven't yeah i haven't seen the road i'm really excited to after these movies sort of watch all the solo movies like the i actually own because i became a really the fastest growing member of the mothra fan club i (laughs) have already ordered a t-shirt ordered a action figure of mothra and have the blu-ray of the original mothra movie i just haven't seen it yet so i'm looking forward to that but yeah so back to that rodan fight i liked it when it was shot wide but there are a lot of close-ups of again kind of replicating that i think we brought it up in our first episode about ebra and the condor attacking him and it sort of looking like he's just batting a bird out of his face there's definitely a little bit of that here except it's just a way better looking bird is a way sexier bird. But aside from that, it doesn't change the fact that it's just Godzilla smacking a sexy bird out of his face. Yeah, there's definitely some of that in that fight. I love the fact that he straight up chokes out Rodan during part of it. And just like that's pretty thug Godzilla. I did I did make a note of that. That was pretty badass. Okay, so circle back to the baby Godzilla once again. This is my favorite iteration of baby of all time. And I speak for many and many of the fans, because this is easily the best characterization of baby Godzilla. I did like him here. I think without spoiling too much of thoughts of later movies, I do think he's done both worse and better in respective movies, but we'll get there because we, these movies having the continuity they do, we end up following this iteration of baby Godzilla as he grows up. Now he's technically a Godzilla sore, right? He's not. Yeah. He's the dinosaur. Yeah, he's the dinosaur from Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. So he, that's what he would have you know, turned into if he had not been exposed to the radiation from Godzilla. Yeah, so basically kind of the reveal, right, is so they find this egg on the island where Godzilla and Rodan were fighting. And then everybody's favorite Pteranodon enthusiast. One of my favorite lines is when he's going to look at the egg and the scientist girl's kind of like, is it the scientist girl or is it the, the telepath? Is it, is it Mickey? I can't remember. It is Azusa Gojo, played by Ryoko Sano. Okay, she was a different character. I couldn't remember. And yeah, she goes, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. And he goes, it's okay, don't worry. And then just keeps walking towards the egg. And that's when I kind of knew that I liked this guy. And then we went straight into a telepath school. So they really brought this whole telepathy thing with Mickey. And I think they might have shown the school one other time during the Heisei era. Because I feel like they went there once. It was in Biolante because that's they go um, 
gives him Biolante before Godzilla bursts out the volcano. They go there, and all the kids hold up the drawings of Godzilla. Yep. So I think this is the same school in this one. I know we're still kind of in the streak of films where she's still sort of a supporting character, but I know we yeah. eventually get her as a main character. But yeah, so here and then the egg is revealed to be the Minya retcon that is baby Godzilla. And I will admit, this is, if I got to pick, this is a much better looking design for a baby Godzilla. He actually kind of looks like he'd be Godzilla's baby. There's a lot of cool, really kind of like how we were talking about in our early Heisei movies, a lot of cool little micro animatronics in his face to kind of give him more expression, give him kind of a, I love there's this little twitch in his eye when he first wakes up. (laughs) It just feels a a weird combination of realistic and kind of gross, but also adorable. Yeah. They found a really good line to ride there. Yeah, one thing I absolutely adore that the Heisei franchise did is just it gave the monster faces so much more expression to them, especially between Godzilla and Junior. To kind of skip way to the end of the movie, when Godzilla finally gets to be face-to-face with his son, we actually kind of see Godzilla smile for the first time ever in the entire series. Oh, yeah. Kind of, quote-unquote, smile. You know, it's hard to animate it but it's supposed to be him happy and everything and i love that because yet again another balance i feel like the heisei era just found all these really balanced sweet spots in a lot of the different elements that the show era was kind of struggling up to this point so like one of those being godzilla having a personality in Showa era, it was either he was just a heartless dickhead destroying everything or he was an overexpressive goofy cartoon Whereas here, they managed to find a sweet spot where you actually get a little sympathetic for him. And it's a sweet spot that I think King Kong has that makes him such an appealing character. And they finally kind of get to that with here, which I think is what makes these big monster creature guys, if you're going to make them sort of guardian or protector figures, I feel like this is a good place to do that. But he is still sort of a villain here. Yeah, to me, he they walk the fine line of anti-hero and villain in this, where he's not necessarily doing everything because he's, you know, evil. He's just doing it because he's A, that big. And yeah, I guess I don't even mean villain. I guess I mean more antagonist. Like, he's sort of... He's antagonistic? Just, yeah, well, he's there to, you know, he's not going to hold back when it comes to dishing out the wrath. But he, oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely a little more excusable this time. It's not just, he doesn't feel like this incarnation of evil. He feels just angry. He feels like a creature angry, you know, kind of like if a lion attacked a person, like we wouldn't call that lion evil, right? We'd just be like, well, it was clearly something set it off or, you know, and it's a part of his, his nature. And we can feel that a little more rather than some of the earlier ones where we've seen him attacking cities and stuff where it does just feel like he's just doing it to, to get a kick out of it just getting his kicks at a yeah give him something to do yeah exactly so i actually want to mention a couple things before we like really start deep diving into this more than we are but this is a fact that i kept to myself the entire time we were watching this but this was intended to be the last heisei film really yep because like i mentioned earlier in the i think it was during the king Ghidorah segment or mothra one of the two TriStar was in the midst of making their first attempt of a Godzilla movie because in 94, they were going to have the Godzilla versus Griffin film. Sure. And that sadly got canceled and every G fan is pissed about it because it would have been way more fateful to the franchise than what we got. Toho didn't want to interfere just like they're doing now with Mm -hmm. the MonsterVerse. They didn't want to interfere and release, you know, Godzilla film the same year as a 
another studio. So they're like, let's end the series now, kind of end on a high note. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why they went the more action-heavy route. Just to end it with a big bang. Kind of like Destroy All Monsters, where it's just a big celebration of the special effects and everything. Sure. I can. That definitely puts it into context a little bit. Because they do really kind of... This isn't everything but the kitchen sink kind of movie. And they really go all out with it. I am also interested on a side note, having you having brought that up to, since we are getting closer to that point where this will be more of a discussion, I am excited to get to the American films and kind of talk about Toho's relationship with uh, sort of both allowing the rights to Godzilla to other studios and their reactions and interactions with people doing iterations of this because it definitely reflects their passion for this character, which I think comes out a ton at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, really in every era, but I'm just excited to kind of get further into that discussion for, for future. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be fun. I have, some, I have some tidbits of info that's going to be interesting to talk about. Love those tidbits. Yep. Akira okay. Fukube returns for this as well, which, you know, can never go wrong with him for this music. And I feel like I keep saying this every time we get to an opening track, but On My Father's Grave, this is my favorite opening track of the entire franchise. It's pretty I, cool. It's I, I like. I, I adore the hell out of it. When I need to get hyped at work and everything to you know finish whatever I was doing, I'll play <laughs> this, and it's just like yeah, <laughs> just like that. You just do the the Metallica yeah yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really liked the theme. I wasn't as crazy about the look for Mechagodzilla this time around. I there's something about the tribute to 50s sci-fi that was the first iteration of Mechagodzilla that I really appreciated. Something about the simplicity of him just looking like a bucket with a ton of weapons was really cool to me and a bunch of buttons on him. Whereas this one, you could tell they were going for more of that. Like everything in the 90s was about making things sleek and shiny. And, you know, we were in the era of black trench coats and sunglasses and, you know, bright, shiny chrome being plastered onto everything and making that more modern, usually with black highlights. And so this was cool in that like sort of 90s way, but it did feel like a weirdly dated design, I guess. Yeah, to talk about the design and everything, the Noriyoshi Ohari, I believe that's how you say his name. Uh, He did the majority of the posters for this era. I think he did all seven films. And his poster concept for Mechagodzilla was amazing. Like, SH Monster Arts even did a figure on it. And I really wish that they had gone with this design, but I believe the reason they didn't was it was going to go over budget for them. Mm. Because they were going to have Mechagodzilla be a combiner, kind of like what they do in the next movie. So I think that might have been going over budget for them. So they uh, went back to the drawing board. And yeah, he's a little derpy, but he's still a powerhouse like he was in the Showa films. And he a chonky boy. Oh, he is a chonky boy. I mean, so isn't Godzilla in this movie. I think this is the chonkiest he's ever been in the Heisei era. Yeah, this this movie should be uh, thick versus metal thick <laughs> is uh, really what it should make a thick. <laughs> he he make a thick, girl. But yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up those posters because I don't know if we brought those up yet with this era, but those things are gorgeous. Like they are just works of art. And that was part of what got me so hyped to get into this era is just those posters alone, even though I knew the movies obviously wouldn't be exact iterations of that. This one being the, the biggest example, but 
I really loved the overall design. So if anyone gets anyone listening gets a chance to take a look at those, just look up Heisei era posters and just get ready to drool and gawk at them for hours on end because they are fucking awesome. And I'm probably going to get the Godzilla versus Mothra one at some point. Uh, I already own that one. <laughs> and I own the uh, King Ghidorah one as well. And I would love to get the Biolante one. The Biolante one is beautiful. The Biolante one is probably one of the best posters I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, moving on, I think there's a lot of really cool action. I also really love the the sound design in this. It You can really feel the technology rapidly growing as you're watching these movies, just watching how much they've changed in 10, 20 years. You know, even since the beginning of the Heisei era, this one is, we're starting to get to a point where you can just see in every movie this massive step forward in sort of technology and what they're capable of. I really liked the first fight with Mechagodzilla and Godzilla was pretty sweet. And can we talk about how they completely dropped the ball? Because Mechagodzilla was destroying Godzilla for a solid like three minutes. And then I think Godzilla maybe hits him once with something. And then, <laughs> and then they just, they, the G-Force just fucks it all up. Yeah, so what happened is uh, they're using the uh, shock anchors on Godzilla, and it is fucking Godzilla's day up. He is getting his ass handed to him. And Deus Ex Machina, Godzilla's like, haha, nuclear pulse. And he sends the uh, shocks right back into Mechagodzilla, frying Mechagodzilla's computer systems. And Godzilla's just like, haha, knocks him over and continues on his merry way. And I'm just like, Godzilla, you're an asshole. Yeah, there was no dramatic turning of the tables in that fight. It was really just kind of a, a heavy tip of the scale all of a sudden. Yeah, Godzilla was just like, oh, power. Yep. We get a couple. Uh, this movie does have the pulpy feel that I like. You know, um, there's some great lines, like the them sort of looking at Mechagodzilla and being, you know, paraphrasing here, but how the fuck do we beat Godzilla? And... <laughs> There's this really funny, like, they take this gun turret thing that they have, and then they just, there's just like a blueprint, like a 3D animation of it just, that they're watching on a screen of it just attaching. The guy goes, watch this. And it just attaches to the back of Mechagodzilla. And the guy goes, yes, this is brilliant. This will make it possible. (laughs) I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I would think strapping giant guns onto a giant robot would would make the giant robot better. But hey, who? I'm no expert. Good old Garuda. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we that have was, uh, scientists here to show us these things. That was uh, one of the concepts for the um, flying machine that was going to be part of the combining Mechagodzilla before they scrapped it. Oh, interesting. That's yeah, cool. that was, uh, I think it was going to be the, still going to be like the backpack mm-hmm. to the flying, you know, for Mechagodzilla and everything. Story-wise, we do get the planting of some seeds here with a story that at first I didn't know if I cared about or not, but eventually as the movies go on, gets pretty investing, which is Mickey's relationship with baby Godzilla. I think we should talk about kind of starts here. And there's a lot of cool scenes with like him being frightened and his eyes turn red, which I thought was really interesting. And yeah, I was, I was surprised. There's a dorky little romance scene where they're kind of flirting and in the background you can see, I think is it the it's Pteranodon guy and is it Mickey or is it the other girl that's flirting? Oh, it's Aoki, played by Mashihiro Takashima. And it's him and who is it? Azusa, which okay. not gonna lie, I totally had a crush on Azusa when I was growing up. <laughs> I love when they're flirting and baby Godzilla is just in the background eating a shoe. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of the one of the best. Yep, shots that I that I love that shot. Yep. I can't remember the 
context, I'm just sort of jumping from kind of moving linearly on my notes here, but I can't really remember the context, but at some point Rodan turns red, which was really cool. Can you remind me why and when that happened? All right. So just like Godzilla, apparently babies got psychic abilities because they kind of fuck with that in Biolante with Godzilla having some kind of psychic ability. And so in this one, when they play a song, it frightens baby and he calls out to Rodan, who was still on that irradiated island. That's right. That was really cool because the music just kind of stops and then we see Rodan wake up. Yeah. And as he's flying away, he turns from his brown color to what they trademarked him as Fire Rodan. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Which so, kind of alludes to what Godzilla becomes two movies later. Shh. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, yeah. So I... I think that's why I'm, gl- I'm glad you pieced that together for me. I couldn't remember how those two scenes connected. I do feel like the plot focus jumps around a lot, but maybe it's a little better tied together than I remember. I just felt like it was kind of jumping all over the place, but they do a good job of sort of making it all a little more related. And I think this is one of the ones that benefits from like a second and third rewatch. Cause this is one that I have watched countless times. Cause like I said, it was the first Heisei film I ever owned. So I watched it all the time when I was younger and yeah, I just love it so much. I just remember of this movie and there were a couple in the show era like that for me, but of this era, this was the movie that for me kind of flew by the quickest. And I remember we were watching it and you just go, all right, ready for the final battle. And I was like, we're there already. We're doing this. (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) I guess I felt like the movie was just dragging me along with it. Like I didn't really, and not in like a, I was super immersed way, but in like, a, I guess this movie is just going to these places and whether I'm ready for it or not, we're going there. Cause I couldn't really get a grasp on what the plot focus was supposed to be. I did feel like it jumped around a lot and they do a good job of towards the end kind of weaving it all together. But by the time they did that, I didn't really connect with anything before. So I didn't feel like I was at that point with the movie. Uh, for me, I might've already said this a couple times throughout it, but I feel like the Heisei films were all like one or two rewrites away from being like masterpiece Godzilla films. And I think this one honestly probably could have been the best to get another rewrite just so it can tie the human stuff in a little more. Because I, I will admit it is a little lacking in some spots. Mm-hmm. Like the characterizations are kind of just like on the nose characterizations and stuff. And again, that can be okay. I feel like this one, it's ironic because in a way this does remind me of an, albeit better version, so please don't be insulted by this, but this does remind me of a bit of how Roland Emmerich approaches these types of movies who ended up being the director of the 98 Godzilla, just because there are very broad, kind of corny, kind of goofy characters, except these characters are a lot more likable than most of the ones in his movies. And this is way better directed, just as far as the pacing goes and the story, I feel like this is a little bit, this kind of reminds me of that, you know? And as we know, he ends up, as I was saying about Hollywood blockbusters, he ends up being kind of the poster child for those types of movies with Independence Day. And, you know, even into the 2000s, he did like 2012, Day After Tomorrow, all that stuff. So this kind of felt like it was paced like one of those movies and that it was kind of like, hey, there's some humans. Here's the quirky stuff they do that's entertaining for the minutes they're on screen. And then moving on to the next big thing. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Again, much better executed, but... Oh yeah, this is very much in the tradition of Godzilla. So it feels 
definitely feels better in this movie than it does in the, the shit sure. thing that we'll talk about <laughs> soon. It's absolutely not at all comparing the movies, but just in the, or as a whole at least, but just in the, the pacing, it, it does kind of remind me of that a little bit. Yeah, and speaking of characterizations, they still continue on more with Godzilla because they continue with his little, like, confused head shake he has when uh, something doesn't go his way, which I believe I mentioned in Ghidorah the... Yeah, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, listen to me. King uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. And jeez, Josh, have you even watched a Godzilla movie before? Oh, God, I know, right? God, what am I doing? I need to get somebody else. I need to get a new co-host. Get him yeah. out of here. Get him <laughs> out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... It got to a certain point in this movie, and again, I think where it just kind of felt like a blur, and I just realized this this movie is just a lot of action. And oh yeah, me personally, I didn't find the action nearly as captivating or compelling as really anything in the Heisei era so far. Even the ones that I thought were this was one where there's probably movies in the Heisei era that I would feel maybe aren't quite as good as it, but I think I liked them more just because this one didn't give me the one thing I was dying to have at some point, which was emotional resonance. And again, I can't expect that out of every Godzilla movie. I think it's just, I've been so pleasantly surprised by that happening on occasion that now I feel like I'm always almost like owed it, you know, <laughs> sitting there like, all right, when, who, where's the character I care about? And the movie's like, oh, you don't get that this time around. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, this one makes you care more for the monsters just because, again, they're used so much in this one. Yes, and again, another reason why I'm excited to rewatch this one because I think that given where things go, I think I'll be a little more invested in this one in the future. That's all I'll say as far as yeah. the, the next two movies. Want to just briefly talk about the uh, final battle? Yeah, we should, we should. Because um, Rodan gets his shit fucked up in this movie twice. He's the Anguirus of this series. Cause he gets not slapped around. Uh, he gets slapped around by Godzilla at the beginning of the movie. Then uh, he shows up to fight Mechagodzilla because, you know, he kidnapped Baby. Gets the shit kicked out of him. Building dropped on him. You know, he just gets his ass handed to him on a silver platter. And catch a um, break. And then he even sacrifices himself to save Godzilla. Because they actually kill Godzilla. Or attempt to. Like, they come really friggin' close. Because they, uh, as Wes said, they uh, blow up Godzilla's butt brain. Yes. Yes, they do. I forgot about the butt brain. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. So, turns out Godzilla has a second brain. Not in anywhere refined or classy, but right in his ass. And... <laughs> Maybe it's a hip brain. Maybe it's like a, a lower stomach brain, but I'm going to call it an ass brain. Yeah, it's located in his hip, but it looks like it's in his butt. And they discover this. G-Force discovers this thanks to running tests on baby Godzilla, which is like, oh, my God, they actually did something smart for once. <laughs> I can't believe I just thought of this now, but I feel like G-Force was the inspiration to what would become Monarch and the MonsterVerse films. 100%. I can yeah. totally see that. They use Mickey to kill Godzilla in this. She's the one who's used to locate Godzilla's second brain during the final battle. And my favorite scene in this movie is when she blows up the second brain and there's no dialogue. She just takes off her goggles and you can just see like the look of regret in her face. And it's so well done. There's no, like I said, no dialogue. It's just her. You can just see the emotion. Just Mm -hmm. watch her like going, I can't believe I just did that. Because she cares a lot about Godzilla. Because she views him as an animal. 
and he just wants to be with his family and be left alone yet we're like oh we're gonna throw every weapon we have at godzilla and just like yeah of course he's gonna be a pissed motherfucker after that (laughs) i i do feel like this movie obviously we wouldn't want this for entertainment purposes but i do feel like this movie could have ended a lot quicker had they just given him baby godzilla and then a lot less people would have died and a lot less buildings would have gotten smashed but that's just me. I will say also, because I, I genuinely wanted to, I was like, man, I've, I've been really invested in the monster action up to this point with the Hey Sarah. And why did I feel so disconnected from this? And then I didn't tell you this yet, but I actually, the next morning, because the night we watched it, I will admit that by the end, not only was I kind of, my eyes were glazing over because I was just like, there's so much going on and I was just overwhelmed and kind of not really invested. But I also had had a little bit of whiskey and was like, towards the end of it, it was kicking in. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't remember the fight perfectly. Maybe I want to like kind of just give it a, a good view. Just like, so the next morning I like, I threw on the, the last like 30 minutes again. And I'm like, maybe I'll get more invested just in this as, as like an action sense. And still the action, even the action felt kind of not just hollow spectacle, but also kind of, it didn't feel as creative as, as some of the action we'd seen up to this point in the Hase era. And or even in the sh- some of the stuff in the Showa era, like Mechagodzilla and Godzilla fighting for the first time. I feel it was just way more entertaining in, what was it, 74? Yeah. Than, than here. And maybe that's just me, but it, this one just didn't work as well for me on a lot of levels. Uh, one thing to bring up about this is... This has been a common complaint from fans about the Heisei era is the use of beam attacks. We mentioned that a little bit before, too. This is uh, mainly because Koichi Kawakita, the special effects director, I believe that's how you would pronounce his name, he was not too into the, uh, you know, boxing-type fighting that the Showa era is kind of known for. And so he wanted to make it different for this era and to an extent it works but also it does feel very samey after a while yes um because i do remember when we were watching it's like you had mentioned they're like oh they're locking beams again yes um (laughs) i remember you saying that and i do like the context of it because the first time godzilla loses the beam attack the you know the beams when they connect he loses the first time and then Mm -hmm. the second one he wins it so I, I do like that context, sure. but yes, I do feel that it does drag on a bit at times. It could have gone for more hand-to-hand combat. I just feel like a good mesh of sort of, it kind of takes a little bit of the animosity out of Godzilla, I think, when he's not scratching and clawing and kicking and tail whipping people. I think when yeah. he's just sort of sitting there and shooting his beam, it makes him feel, you know, that that sort of combat makes sense for, for Mechagodzilla, right? Yeah. Because he's more tactical and he's supposed to be, you know, he's, he's run by human conscious. So that makes sense, you know, but keeping your distance, shooting at him, whatever. But, you know, you really take a, a little bit of that feral quality out of Godzilla, I think, when you take so much of because e- even the atomic blast, I don't think it should ever feel tactical coming from Godzilla. I think it should always feel like just an expression of anger, you know? And whereas the, admittedly, the atomic breath effects in this movie are, and really the, all the Heisei are, are amazing. You know, it, it's just a bummer that it's not used in a more angry way. I would have liked to see it just feel, I would have liked to have felt it a little more. Yeah, and one thing that's really cool is they do give Godzilla some new beam attacks in this era. This one introduces his uranium heat ray, which is he gets it after Rodan sacrifices himself to heal Godzilla. 
-hmm. So it's basically a more powered up heat ray for Godzilla, and it looks badass. Instead of the traditional blue, yeah. it's orange. I did like that. And it's very powerful because it takes out Mecha Godzilla in like three hits, opposed to Godzilla's original, you know, blue atomic breath. Yep. It's cool that they're giving Godzilla more abilities. Sure. And I like that. Yeah. They do, they kind of do that incrementally throughout this franchise too with all the or without throughout this era with all the monsters is they all sort of have new toys to play with this time around which is pretty cool as yeah. we talked about with like mothra and his little antenna beams last time which i actually enjoyed yeah so i think overall like i said it, it feels very much like an american blockbuster just fast-paced over long um really extended fight scenes that are packed with effects you know, a thin story and characters that just kind of, it breezes past all that stuff to just kind of get to the spectacle. It does plant some seeds for the next two movies, which again, I think will maybe help me appreciate this in the long run more. But I think overall, this one fell kind of in the middle of the road for me. Yeah. And uh, one last thing I want to mention that I thought was really freaking cool is mm -hmm. the fact that they reverse engineer Mecha King Ghidorah to make Mecha Godzilla in this one. That is true. I thought that I was a very that. cool concept to yeah. use. And it's a more realistic way to introduce Mechagodzilla into what is the realistic era of Godzilla. Sure. So what about, so you've heard my overall thought. What, what about this one? I think I asked you this a little bit in the beginning, but what about this one do you think just really stands out as your one of your favorites amongst your favorite era? Well, I... Godzilla is obviously my favorite character in all these movies. So for me, this is like the, like I said earlier, this is the most characterization we've gotten to Godzilla at this point. Mm -hmm. So this is for me, the most he's ever felt like a character in a story. And again, I also have the childhood nostalgia playing on me, just like I did with son of Godzilla. So I just love the fact that this is one of my go-to Godzilla movies whenever I just want to, cause it's, it's easy to pop on. You don't like I know it's dumb to say, but you don't have to pay attention to the story. You can just watch the spectacles. Oh, that's and fair. I mean, that's half of what mo these movies are, right? Yeah, and sometimes I just want that from a Godzilla movie. I just want the spectacle. I, you know, that's what I love about this franchise so much is you can have the deep story or you can also have the spectacle. And I just love being able to have that option. Definitely. So next up is Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. G-cells cast into space have spawned the mutant monster Space Godzilla, who intends to destroy Godzilla and conquer Earth for himself. G-Force, meanwhile, has completed the successor to Mecha Godzilla, the anti-Godzilla mech Mogira. However, Mogira first sees action against the space monster and fails to halt its approach to Earth. Space Godzilla defeats Godzilla as well, then converts the city of Fukuoka into his own crystal fortress. Now, in order to save his adopted son from imprisonment within Space Godzilla's crystals, Godzilla must fight alongside Mogira to defeat his extraterrestrial clone. So, this one felt pretty similarly overall in tone for me to Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. However, I think I liked this one just a little bit more. And I think if there's one thing that maybe tipped the scales for me for this one is that it's a little more creative with its action. I think Space Godzilla, even though his name, maybe not so much, but him as an idea and his attacks and his overall look, I think just made for a more appealing, unique, and nuanced creature and in turn action sequences for me. I think this was... Similar to Mechagodzilla 2, I would make that same comparison of like, this felt very much 
paced like a Hollywood blockbuster, very fast, um, lots of action, characters come second, except for one in particular, which we'll talk about, which I think we're both fans of here. I technically two, actually, but this one did just feel like a little bit, it gave me a little something more than the other one. It definitely commits to just having fun for the most part. And, but I don't know, something about this one resonated a little bit better with me. I think I really liked the the weird sci-fi tone of it. I think I really liked how much they committed to just kind of making it epic, but also not in a doom and gloom kind of way. Just definitely invites you to have fun. Josh, what do you think of this one? I did like this one a lot as well. It's not my favorite of the Heisei, but I did enjoy it. And I had a kind of an epiphany when I was watching it during this watch through, which I mentioned to you uh, when I was texting you while I was watching it and I couldn't wait to share my thoughts on it. Sure. But watching this, I was probably about halfway through the movie and it clicked with me that this felt like a big budget Showa film. Like, okay. It clicked yeah. to me that it felt like a Showa film that had a bigger budget and I don't know which part of the Showa. It almost felt like kind of like what if the seventies era Godzilla was all like Mecha Godzilla production. Yeah. I was going to say seventies. Like I was going to say this felt like if it would have fit right next to Mecha Godzilla, and I don't know if it made me like or hate the movie more, but it was a great. It, it just when it clicked with me, I was like, "Damn, that was a good thought," and it, it made me see the film through a new light. It really sure. did. Definitely, I think this movie has that kind of infectious quality that a lot of Showa did. Where I feel like Mecha Godzilla two didn't take itself too seriously in the story and character stuff, but it did take itself kind of seriously when it came to the action, and I think. Maybe that was a little bit of a conflict for me, whereas this one, the action definitely takes itself seriously at times, but it's a little more over the top. So it it feels like it mixes with that fun corniness a little more. I think a lot of the, there's so many broad, obvious, easy ideas that they go with here that they just commit to. Like the whole idea of trying to telepathically control Godzilla and they just call it Project T for Project Telepathy. And there's even a line where they explain that to you rather than the dialogue could be as simple as, oh, we want to control him with telepathy. Yes. Well, the thing about Project T, right, you could have just moved on with that. But instead they go, yes, Project T, like Project Telepathy, after they had just had a paragraph about explaining. So there's a lot of stuff like that. It's almost kind of endearing and just how on the nose and goofy it is and kind of, you know, sets you up for what this movie is going to be like. This movie starts like really most Godzilla movies do, which just goes the humans clapping their hands together and going, okay, how are we going to beat this bastard when he wakes up? And (laughs) there's a lot of that here. The whole kind of concept of how Space Godzilla comes to be. So when we were talking last movie about how there was something in this movie that I was kind of like, I don't really... Sure. I mean, I guess that's an explanation for it, but it doesn't make me feel satisfied because it's a stupid explanation is the whole origin of Space Godzilla, which is that, now bear with me here. When Mothra flies off into space in that beautiful shot in Godzilla versus Mothra, correct me if I'm wrong, but she took some Godzilla DNA with her that floated off of her (laughs) into a black hole (laughs) and created Space Godzilla? Is this real life? Is that what really happened? Don't forget that they also say when Bailante drifted up into space, too, that that was another plausible way that Godzilla's (laughs) DNA got into space. 
so goofy. I didn't. Yep. Yeah, this this was when you could really, and that that I think is another very show like element. It was almost a little, a line that they cross. They definitely crossed the goofy line, which is very rarely crossed in the Heisei era quite that heavily. Yeah. Um, that I think establishes this one maybe as a little more of a family friendly film and a little more of like i could see this one being treated a little more as a, a kid's film just this with that, is, the sort of logic that it that it has sorry to cut you off earlier um this You're one good. is definitely more light-hearted than the rest of the showa or yeah re- less rest of the showa era rest of the haze nothing's era. more light-hearted than the show era oh yeah <laughs> no um, thumbs up here uh which uh i don't know it just this is like I was saying, this is definitely the most Showa era of the Heisei films. Yeah, okay, I'll just start going into some stuff that I wanted to talk about. Junior got the most adorable redesign in this film. Now, <laughs> it kind of just felt like a swelled up giant version of the other one. Rather than like the preteen Godzilla it's supposed to be, it kind of just feels like they took a little baby and made him and a made big him baby. <laughs> And I don't know. Yeah. I think that, again, was sort of... I think by making him just bigger and even a little cuter, they just... This is the cutest of this iteration of Baby Godzilla is, so of the three movies he's featured in. So I feel like, again, that's another sort of sign of this one being a little more... Lighthearted. Yeah, children-focused. I adore this version of Baby a lot. It's nice to see that Godzilla is not an asshole father in this one. Definitely. He's a little bit better of a dad in the last one, but I think it's only because he can take his anger out on humans. Like when he has humans to like notice when he's isolated on an island, he smacks his son around because I think he's just like getting antsy. You know, it's like his alcohol. He's like, man, I haven't had a drink in a while. I really got to just crush something. So he's like, kid, if you don't blow that atomic breath, I'm going to slap you up. And then like, (laughs) but when, you know, his kid's in the middle of a city and needs to be rescued, he's like, well, I can fuck shit up on the way, take out my aggression. Yeah, um, one thing that I did hate that they cut from this movie was there's a scene where after Space Godzilla kidnaps Junior, Godzilla goes and tries to break open and, like, investigate the prison that Baby's been put in. And they cut that. So it's like Baby gets kidnapped and Godzilla just fucks off right after Space Godzilla and just like, huh, that felt weird. But it's one thing I... One thing I really did like that uh, Yuki, our favorite character of this movie, does is, uh, so his whole goal is to kill Godzilla, but when he sees Junior get kidnapped and everything, he puts his gun away, and he's just like, he's had enough today. I ain't gonna rain on his, you know, I ain't gonna shit on his day even more. So I'm just like, he's a gentleman fighter. I appreciate that. (laughs) I will say the scene of little Godzilla getting kidnapped because that's technically what he's called in this one, right? Is Little Godzilla. Yeah, Little Godzilla. Or as they say in Japan, Chibi Gojira. Chibi Gojira. When Chibi's getting captured, that scene's actually really good. I really liked the shot of sort of the green energy coming off of Space Godzilla and, and wrapping around him and pulling him up. Uh, and then pulling him into the little crystalline cage was pretty neat. Yeah, so let's go back to... So like I said, there's two human characters in this that I think are actually done pretty well. And I think this one, we get a lot more Mickey. And I think in a a good way, because the actress is shockingly good. And I think she was in the other movies, but I think she just gets a lot more chance to... to Yeah, she's actually the uh, starring... She's a top-billed actress in this movie above everyone else. Yeah, her and... Oh, sorry, go ahead. And one thing that I always applaud the Godzilla franchise for doing 
is unlike nowadays where it's kind of this big deal that studios will hype up that, hey, we have a woman in our leading role and everything. And well, at least mainly blockbusters are doing this nowadays where the Godzilla franchise, when they have a woman in the leading role, they don't make a big deal about it. They're just like, look, it's a character in our movie. She's the, you know, our main focus. Well, I, I think that. it's that. Yeah, I think the important thing, right, is that like there's no it never feels like a stunt when they when they cast a female yeah. in the leading role. I think that's the difference between it. I think it never, you know, it's I think I think it's important to try and make a statement, but I think the best statement you can make about casting a female as your lead is is just giving her a good arc, just treating her with respect like you would a male character. And obviously having so many years of not really having that in Hollywood or maybe only having that in like dramas and and not as much in like sci-fi action, like genre films. I think so many years of that, it gets grating and you kind of want to see, it's refreshing to see stuff like this where, yeah, this was what, like 20 five years ago or something like that 1994 and, yeah, so long time ago almost 30 years ago and we get this like really you know just casual female being a badass and, and being involved in the plot and i really appreciate that yeah, um, i will say the 90s is kind of where that started to happen overall a little more but as we know godzilla franchise has been pretty good about that for the most part yeah and it's nice to see megumi odaka you know, actually get to do a little more than just be a supporting role. Because there were a couple times her supporting role was very limited during this era. And so it was nice to see them give her a little more to do. Yeah, especially since in Biolante, when she's introduced, she's kind of just thrown in there as this random side character who's psychic. Yeah. You're always kind of like, okay, like it it starts off, you're kind of like, I don't know if I need her. And then now having seen her get the spotlight, I'm like, man, I wish... I kind of wish she was the main I, character in these other movies too. <laughs> I know. I, I kind of wish they had focused on her because she is a fan favorite character and I totally understand why. I would argue that in the next one too, she kind of can be considered the lead of of the human characters too. Yeah. We'll get to, but yeah, I definitely feel like they realized that at this point that they had this thing, you know, this like treasure sitting there the whole time and they're like, well, let's put it to the forefront now, you know? Yeah. Um, and her talent but yeah i think she does a great job and she sells kind of the conflict that mickey feels in contributing to and assisting this project t like i really like the idea that she's not really cool with it and but she's also the only one that can make it happen and she's caught between her understanding of godzilla as a animal but also her love for humanity so she feels caught in between that and she plays that conflict really well i totally agree and it's cool to see on kind of the opposite end of that akira emoto's character of major yuki who's on the warpath to kill godzilla so it's really cool to see like one human character who wants to you know keep godzilla alive and let him be mm-hmm. and then we see another human character who just instantly just on the warpath because a great way to tie into the uh, other films is major gondo yeah, I know it's Gondo. I can't remember his rank in the military, but he was killed in Godzilla versus Biollante, mm-hmm. and Yuki was his best friend. Yep. So that was a cool way to tie it in. So he's kind of on a revenge path to you know kill Godzilla for killing his friend, and, and you- I I like that a lot. Yeah, Yuki is this very 
over the top. He's first revealed, we find him on an island, just kind of camping out. And he has this, yeah, as we know, this obsession with killing Godzilla. And his character is just so, he's such a perfect balance of, I would kind of compare him to like Robin Williams from Jumanji, where like he's crazy, but also kind of heartfelt. (laughs) And you're like, after having been what he's been through, you kind of get why he is where he is mentally. And once they and they do enough of a good job kind of connecting those emotional pieces to every time he does something absurd, there's also a little bit of like your heart breaks a little bit every time because you know he's so uh, committed, just blindly committed to this goal of killing Godzilla. And it makes for a pretty tragic and funny character at the same time. Yeah, there's uh, one scene when they're operating Mogera and uh, they find out Godzilla's on his way to space Godzilla and Yuki changes the flight path from Mogera going to Space Godzilla to Mogera going to Godzilla, and his other two co-pilots knock him out, and one of them goes, "Oh boy, more violence!" And I just that that scene makes me giggle. There's a lot of really great little one-liners in this, and I really loved Yuki's one-liners, especially where he's aiming his weapon. I think he has like a like a rocket launcher or something. I forget what weapon he's using exactly, but he's they explain that there's a weak point in Godzilla's armpit, which leads Yuki to deliver the sweet, sweet one-liner of, let me see that lovely armpit of yours as he's lining up a shot. <laughs> and there's so many little moments like that, again, that could play off so just completely neutralize this movie and make it completely... And like I said, there's already a lot of more childlike elements in it, but you still manage to take that arc seriously just knowing the context, which they do really well. And to speak of that scene, when he's giving chase to Godzilla on Birth Island, which is where Godzilla's home is in this series, mm-hmm. I really liked how it was filmed. It felt very, again, back to the Showa-esque, where they used compositing shots of Godzilla in the background with the humans running around in the front, mm-hmm. which they've been using that a lot in this era, but it felt really almost, I want to say, I don't know if it's because of the tropical setting the first half of this movie has. yeah. Or it felt very like Son of Godzilla and Ebra Horror of the Deep. It felt very much in those lines. Because I even made note that there's a scene where I believe the three main male characters are all running on the beach. Mm-hmm. And you see Godzilla walking in the background. And I believe I made notes that it's shot very much like Ebra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love stuff like that. And it's great for scaling too. Because you can see how much bigger Godzilla is in this series. Yeah, and you do get... That's a good point. You don't see a lot of settings outside of large cities in this where this, so this was very refreshing. And I like the idea of it's just sort of a few scrappy humans instead of the military versus Godzilla, which was really sweet. So going back to the topic of compositing shots, I think we should talk about what may be the worst looking shot. Are you talking about the NASA base? Cause Oh, oh. In, so that that is worse than anything in the show era. It is the worst shot in, like, I'm sorry, but it looks awful. And oh, yeah. I don't know what they were thinking. I would have preferred literally any other technique of shooting that over. Yeah, good God. I made, notes, I made notes that the NASA, the space fight um, between Mogera and Space Godzilla didn't look good. Mm-hmm. But the NASA base scene, oh, God. Like, I, I don't cringe at the effects that often in these movies, but... It looks like a... I'm, oh, I'm pretty God. sure right now we could go make a YouTube video 
of and try and recreate an effect. And I think through pure having an imagination, because we're human beings, we could find a, a better way to represent that than they did here. It is oh, yeah. so horrible looking. And it's not even like a, because there's so many, a lot of times when you look at movies, especially from this era in the 90s, you're like, oh man, they must have thought that looked really cool. And maybe it even did in theaters at the time. And then now it doesn't. It's like, no, this never looked cool. This never yeah. looked good because it looks like it's from the 40s. Like it doesn't look even remotely even modern for its time. It was that it just felt really uncharacteristic of the franchise and really stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Well, this one apparently was a little more rushed than the uh, past ones yeah. because they were trying to, cause like I was saying earlier, the TriStar film was kind of in limbo. So Toho had dusted off because this was a concept that they had been, you know, working on scripts with for a while, mm-hmm. you know, the whole space Godzilla type thing. So I think they kind of rushed this one out just to keep Godzilla, you know, going mm-hmm. up until when America would finally get off their asses and make theirs. Yeah. So I think that kind of them shooting themselves in the foot with that, because I bet if they didn't rush this one, that probably would have looked better. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, God, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think as far as the effects go, a lot of the practical stuff's pretty good. The The suits are great. I think... I, w- I want to know how you feel about Space Godzilla's look, right? I-, I was very back and forth on it. When he's traveling through space, he kind of looks like a little booger hanging off of a crystal asteroid. Yeah. And whereas when he's in his like combat Godzilla form, ground, ground form, yeah, he just has like the crystal tumors popping off his back. And I actually thought those were pretty neat. My favorite thing about them is how they light up right before he shoots his beams, kind of like they treat him like Godzilla spikes a little bit, which was neat. Yeah, I actually, I've been very back and forth on this design because I do think it's really cool. There are some really cool elements to it, but it it could have been executed just a little better in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe not have him as chonky as Godzilla himself <laughs> probably would have helped. But yeah, the whole like shoulder crystals were badass in my opinion. But he can't um, be an alternate version of Godzilla without being a little chonky. He got to be a little yeah. Thick. True, but they could have slimmed him down just a little more <laughs> because he's got the thighs for days like Godzilla does. Oh, yeah. It just it, it, it makes you wonder if these creatures just like constantly eat dairy off screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I'll go straight to them hips. I love like the little like side teeth on his jaws. Very like predator-esque. Mm-hmm. That, that, his head, his whole head looks amazing. I love like the little crown he has and yeah yeah Yeah, it's very cool like you said there's really cool elements to the design and then it does feel like they could have maybe just polished it a little bit and you could have had he he's a character i'd love to see maybe rename him so we can take him a little more seriously but yeah the name um, is very lacking (laughs) but i mean if you're going to commit to the hammy again if we're comparing this to 70s show era then i think a name like space godzilla is probably fitting but I think seeing a recreation of him in modern film would be cool because I feel like CG could lend itself to, you know, as much as I'd love to just see another suit. Let's be honest, if they did a modern version, it'd probably be CG. And it would be cool to just see the crystalline effects and stuff like that. Oh, sure. yeah, because one thing I really love is when he uh, takes over Fukuoka, just seeing all those crystals sprouting up and everything when he, like, transforms it into his home base is so cool i love that look and everything that aesthetic is so cool absolutely there's 
a lot of really random moments in this one. Again, I don't know if it's because they were trying to appeal to kids more, but there's definitely a a crane game montage at one point. Do you remember this? Oh like, yeah, they were uh, in Fukuoka and got uh, Space Godzilla was like manipulating the electricity. So there was like some guy, and I know those Japanese arcades are still massive to this day in Japan. So I, w- I, I think wish that, they were here. Oh, same, same. <laughs> but they they love their gotcha games and their. Uh, their crane games and everything over there. So <laughs> crane game montage was really strange. Yeah, it, it definitely felt out of place, but knowing kind of the context of you know Japan and stuff like that, I, I understood sure. it. So Mickey gets kidnapped at one point, which I thought kind of lame because as to this point, again, us talking about her being such an underrated character, all she's really had to do is sort of stare off into space or stare off at Godzilla while she's having some sort of psychic revelation while everyone looks at her and goes "Ooh, what is it that's kind of all she does up to this point in the franchise and then the next thing they think to do with her is have her kidnapped which was a little annoying but then we get this really weird like bargain john woo rescue scene where they go and save her but i do kind of like how she reveals her that she has telekinesis too which i wish they used a little more but they kind of show that scene a little bit where she lifts up there's a guy taking cover behind like they flip up the hospital bed she's on that she's tied to or whatever. And then he's like hiding behind it. And then she uses her telekinesis to lift it up so that the other guy can shoot the guy's leg. So I thought that was kind of fun. I felt that whole scene was very Showa and everything. Cause it was like, it yeah. was only the three of them. And so that felt kind of remind me of like Godzilla versus guy a little mm-hmm. where they're going into the base to kill the aliens. So yeah, this one felt, it definitely kind of it's weird it definitely is weird mm-hmm. but but in the weird way that godzilla has always been in so it does fit <laughs> yep i love how there's this scene where because they kind of pair at least there's like two romantic pairings in this there's like the main guy who i can't remember oh that is lieutenant shinjo played by june hashazumi right and He's the guy who has the romance with Mickey. Mickey. Yep. yep. And I kind of like their romance a little bit. It was a little cheesy, but it kind of worked for me. And I love the scene where they have this very like <laughs> romantic goodbye to each other. And then there's the old friend of Yuki's who tries to have this romantic goodbye with him. <laughs> he just gives her a lighter and goes, this is out of fluid. Fill it for me. <laughs> and I was like, I just love him so much. Yep. Um, there's a lot of great little moments like that. How did you feel about Mogiro? What are your what are your Mogiro? So I don't know if you know about this because I know you've been watching the Up from the Depths reviews, and he, I believe, he goes into this in his review. Shout out to his YouTube channel again. Oh, fucking love that guy. He is so awesome. awesome. But Mogiro started in the 1957 film The Mysterians, so he originally was never even in the Godzilla franchise. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the updated design is so much better than the original Mogera, but he did start out as a robot going on a rampage, mm-hmm. like kaiju-sized robot. So okay. I believe the combining aspect for Mogera in this one was taken from the Mechagodzilla concept of the last movie that they didn't go through with. Which is funny that you mention it, because even though I wasn't crazy about the Mechagodzilla design in the last movie, just Mechagodzilla as an idea and an overall look, I, I am a little more attracted to than Mogira's design. However, 
I thought Mogiro was way more fun to watch in combat personally because I don't think Mechagodzilla in the last movie was nearly as creative and multifaceted as the OG Mechagodzilla. And I think Mogiro was just kind of like super creative and totally opposite. Like he, I love how he would disconnect and come up to, I really loved when at one point they split off and, Yuki pilots the flying one and the two guys are in the ground one that they can like dig underground and yeah no, it gave me this like fun Saturday morning cartoon feel to it that I thoroughly yeah. and this was close to around the time when I made that show a you know revelation and everything mm-hmm. oh absolutely that was definitely a show moment yeah and it was actually when they were on their way to fight space Godzilla's when I uh, made that revelation and everything yeah I think and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I did enjoy the fact that they had to work together with Godzilla to defeat Space Godzilla. I thought that was kind of cool that Yuki was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go take care of the... It was bef- it was the Dawn of Justice fight. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And I think... I don't know. I was impressed by a lot of the creative shots in this. The camera is very active. I loved just some of the visual. Like I said, Space Godzilla to me was just him and Mogiro were both a lot more interesting to watch than a lot of the combat stuff for me in the last movie. Whereas I feel like, yeah, you've got space Godzilla's got those cool curly lightning bolts that kind of like just go in these sporadic patterns, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. I I even made note of that, that it was cool that his, uh, his atomic breath, I'll call it. Mm -hmm. I don't know the official name for it. Um, Sure. I love that his they don't aren't straight beams that go right at Godzilla. They'll curve and like hit Godzilla from behind yeah. and it was, it was really very cool. it was it almost kind of reminded me of uh, Ghidorah's lightning attack. Yeah. In a way. Sure. And but it felt a little less like lightning. Controlled. Right? Like yeah, which I like. It gives you know, say what you want about these movies kind of overdoing the beam attack thing. They definitely do a good job of like you could remove the character from the shot and just show their beam attack and you would know whose it is based on how they establish everyone's different attacks which i really liked i felt like yeah there were a lot of little creative touches that him being able to telepathically like throw his crystal spikes around like pull them out of the ground and like drop them on people was really cool oh i love the scene where uh godzilla's like charging at space godzilla and he just drops all the fucking crystals on godzilla yep and it was cool that Godzilla, you know, actually made the conscious decision to start destroying the crystals that were coming out of the ground so he wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to keep doing that. So it was cool that they made Godzilla slightly smarter. Oh, yeah. Continuing with Space Godzilla's abilities, it's so cool that he used telekinesis to pick up and throw Godzilla at one point, which was really cool. I really liked that. I also really liked when he stabs Mogira with his tail. And then oh, hooks yeah. him across the city, I thought was a really cool shot. That, that was really cool, too. And then, yeah, at one point, Yuki just kamikaze flies into Space, Space Godzilla's Godzilla. chest with Mogira, which was pretty sweet. I just love how the setup to that was just him smashing all the controls and the decrepit Mogira. Yep. Everything. That was funny. Yeah, the battle really has this kind of insane over the topness to it that I really liked. And then, of course, you know, at the end, Yuki has to kind of just let it go <laughs> with yeah. Godzilla, sort of. <laughs> and yeah, I like how I think half my flaws with Mecha Godzilla were still here, but a lot of them were, in my opinion, improved upon with this one. And I think overall, I kind of really 
just thought this was a this felt like a sharper version of the last movie to me and i was more interested in the characters i was more interested in the comedy more invested in the action i think everything for me personally wasn't was improved but i know i'm not you know i know not everyone feels that way but for me i think this one just kind of kind of clicked in a fun way i don't think it was amazing but i think it was it was very enjoyable and i could see rewatching this one just for fun yeah this is definitely a fun one i de- i do agree on that um there is like we we're talking about the whole nasa thing there is some cheapness to it because mm-hmm. um there's another blink and you'll miss it but when godzilla dives into the water and his tail's whipping you see the very tip of his tail rip a little but it's oh really but it's so you know it's buried behind the water effects and everything so it is a little hard to notice i didn't notice it you know, watching it, I saw it probably about 20 times before I finally noticed it. I mean, hey, if we're hearkening back to show era movies, what better way? To than... have a suit falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> than to have a suit falling apart, you know? But, all right, man, you ready to move on to the next one? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm reading this one. All right, so this is the final film in the Heisei era, Godzilla versus Desestroya. Following the explosion of uranium deposits below Birth Island, Godzilla is transformed into the extremely powerful burning Godzilla. However, Godzilla's out-of-control internal nuclear reactor threatens to explode, taking the entire planet with him. To make matters worse, the construction of Tokyo Bay's Aqualine has awakened a colony of Precambrian crustaceans mutated by the oxygen destroyer used to kill the first Godzilla in 1954. When the creatures merge together into the huge monster known as Destroya, humanity's only hope becomes getting Destroya to fight Godzilla and hoping it kills him before his overloaded heart destroys the world. But Destroya is not the lesser of two evils and threatens all life on Earth if he is not stopped as well. So, uh, spoilers, but this is the one when I grew up, I watched it for the first time when I was either 10, I was 10 to 12 years old, and it made me depressed. This is the first time a movie ever taught me, you know, I think this and Revenge of the Sith were the first movies to teach me that you can be sad after a movie and that the heroes don't always win. And it broke my heart growing up watching this one. And yeah, it was the hardest one I ever watched growing up. and. So that's what every time I think of this movie, I just think of watching that when I was younger and just it breaking my heart because Godzilla dies. Godzilla fucking dies at the end of this one. And I did not see that coming as a kid and it hurt. (laughs) I can't imagine watching this one as a kid at all. Oh, yeah. Because not only does uh, Godzilla die, they fucking kill his son, too. Well, let's... uh... let's go back a little so we can explain everything let's crawl before we walk i i'm just gonna come out with it this is my favorite of the hayes era really yep i was excited to tell you about this one because i actually had a really good reaction to it and it as kind of a mirror back to when i said that i watched the last 30 minutes of mechagodzilla 2 to kind of click with it i watched the last 30 minutes of this one again just to make sure that I loved it as much as I did. And I loved it even more. And this might be one of my favorite Godzilla movies that we've watched. So, I mean, this is one of my favorite Godzilla movies that we've watched so far of all of them, including the show era. I absolutely loved this one. I loved the, the horror elements that it starts off with when Destroya first comes around. I loved the, this is a really unique Afukabe score because 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but I read this is his last one that he scored. Yeah, this is the last for a lot of major players in Godzilla. This is Ken Pachiro Setsuma's last time being Godzilla. Mm-hmm. This is Afukabe's last score for Godzilla. This is Tanaka's last time producing a Godzilla movie because he died not even two years after this movie came out. Wow. Yeah, so this was this was really the end of an era for the and franchise. Man, does it feel that way when you watch it too? I mean, there's there's really for me it's 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 more than just a sad tone that this one takes on. It takes on this feeling of inevitable horror to kind of come. And you just the, this movie kind of injects you with this dread at the beginning because we don't get to see traditional Godzilla here. We see him immediately as quote unquote burning Godzilla, where he's just carrying a cloud of smoke with him everywhere he goes and he's glowing because he's about to explode from being overloaded with nuclear energy and his roars are less powerful here and they sound more desperate and almost like this yelp this cry for help and i think it's just so symbolic of kind of his character up to this point they found a way in the heisei era to make him still the sort of uh, symbol of terror that he is however also you really really connect with him and understand that they, they took the hard route which was we're not going to try and make him look like either a hero or a villain which he was pretty much definitively one or the other in the sh- most of the show era and this he is a misunderstood creature that lashes out in violence because it's the only way it knows how it doesn't register the sort of things that we register and like we talked about earlier how he's sort of a you know in Godzilla versus Mothra how he's sort of a symbol of nature's wrath I feel like that comes out more than anything in here you almost get this feeling that he really wants the humans to understand him like he really wants to connect or understand what's going on he just looks lost in this movie (laughs) there's something so defeating about the most strong overbearing presence in this franchise appearing like that throughout most of it and then you counter that with his most terrifying, imposing, relentless villain that we've seen so far. And it just really works. It really works to create this almost apocalyptic feeling throughout the entire runtime that I just found absolutely captivating. And it helps that they very early on create the horror tone and build it up and build it up and build it up. And for a while, you know, now we get Godzilla Jr. sort of fully grown in a really, really fantastic suit that I love, by the way. Sort of these greenish hues. We get this adult Godzilla Jr. And now that he's sort of the only one who can really do anything because Godzilla Sr. is struggling the whole movie, we're terrified for him, you know? And he doesn't have this, we don't have this conflicted feeling with Godzilla Jr. like we do with Godzilla. Godzilla Jr. we root for, you know? And it helps that they once again bring back his and Mickey's relationship and you feel there's very little focus on the humans here. It's almost all told through the monster's perspective. And then you have Mickey and she's really one of the only characters that gets an arc here. And it's more of a payoff to her arc that they've been building up in the entire franchise, which is her conflict with trying to, whether she should help humans stop Godzilla or whether she should, you know, find a way to help them both thrive. And yeah, I think this really felt like a culmination of every Godzilla movie we've watched so far and was shockingly poignant and beautiful for me. Oh, I see when when we get to our rankings, I got to explain that I love this era so much that this is like trying to choose my favorite children. 
But for me, I just wish it was just a little better because it deals really? with so yeah, it deals with so much of because it it does a great job tying into the original. It really does. I love the fact they bring back um, Mamako Koichi mm-hmm. or Kochi to play Emiko from the very first Godzilla movie, and I was just like them bringing back Yamane's family. The fact that Destroya comes from the use of the oxygen destroyer. Mm-hmm. It was just like those are some. Oh, they just did a fucking excellent job on that. I don't know, just there's there's just one thing I don't know what it was that just didn't click with me, but I have a lot of respect for this movie. But there was just something that didn't click with me when I watched it. So I feel really bad in saying that it's not my favorite of the Heisei era. But I have a deep respect for what they did with the story. Well, no, I don't I don't think you should feel bad for it cuz I think this is probably a pattern throughout us talking about these is that I think the reason I probably really love it may also be the reason you don't and that this is not, or you do love it, but you know, not as much as I do. And I think that might be because this is not a typical Godzilla movie. This is not told in, it doesn't have the storytelling or the tone that we normally get. There's very little moments of, there are very little moments of levity and, there's very few times where you get to kind of just exhale and relax and have fun with this movie. Like you can with a lot of them. And in that, I kind of felt that I connected to it a lot because I wanted to see, I love seeing how many different angles they can approach this story and, or sort of this world. And I think this was an angle I hadn't quite seen yet. Obviously we've seen a lot of, or at least a couple doom and gloom Godzilla movies you know you have the original you have return of Godzilla but I feel like this one felt unique in the sense of we don't it's not as clear as who to root for I don't think I I think it's not as clear as who to sympathize with it's there's always been this conflict of sort of who's the real monster but I feel like here it's almost like the answer is neither humans nor the monsters are the real monsters and it's it's sort of just the the violence they've caused each other has just led to this now inevitable end that no one can stop. And that feeling is just, you know, it's kind of like the message of once war has begun, even if we then acknowledge that we shouldn't have started it, someone has to end it. And that's kind of how this one feels. And Godzilla dying just feels like this thing that sort of had to happen. And I think it was such a beautiful way to to put a period on this whole little era. I think it was a, a really nice send off i do want to kind of dial it back and and just start how to me this movie created a very special tone right off the bat you don't need to read the credits to know fukabe's back when you see the title of godzilla versus destroyer that booming just theme is incredible it gave me chills and i, I was immediately i immediately was just glued to my seat and ready for whatever this movie was about to throw at me I'm pretty sure I made note of it, but this was my, not opening track, but this is my favorite opening for a Godzilla movie. That title card is just when the music swells and it's like Godzilla versus, and then like it uses the oxygen destroyer to open up and for it to say destroyer. It's just like, oh, it, it grabs you. It is very well done. Well, another thing I think is unique about this opening is that you'll notice it doesn't start with the music like most of these do. It starts with instead when the titles come up rather than hearing music, we hear 
a roar. Godzilla's, yeah, we hear his footsteps in a roar, which is very, which harkens back to the original. Mm-hmm. And I believe Shin Godzilla does this and King of the Monsters does this, where it just starts with his footsteps, the roar, and then we get a shot of the ocean, which is very reminiscent of Gojira. So they, they did a lot of callbacks to the original in this one. And it, it does a good job tying in, making it feel like a whole franchise. Yeah, I think this was the tone I kind of wished that I may I maybe felt like this was what Honda was going for in Terror of Mechagodzilla. But like I said, that movie just felt like it was half, like I had one foot out the door, whereas this one was fully committed to that feeling i feel like it had the grim and urgent tone that i kind of wanted in to wrap up an era of godzilla and i really got that here and of course the callbacks to the original totally tooted my horn and i was so down for it was you know the seeing yamane and seeing surizawa and they very much could have made this feel like such a gimmicky play but i actually thoroughly enjoyed how they used how they tied these elements into it and, you know, again, we've we've talked about how the original sort of ends with this almost cliffhanger feeling of like, well, what's what has created the Oxygen Destroyer? What has creating the Oxygen Destroyer done? And now we get to see something that is actually a negative impact, which is Destroya of the Oxygen Destroyer. So they literally have created a more fearsome monster than what they were trying to stop. So it's that inevitability of this movie that I think really gives it a unique feeling. Can we just talk about Destroya for a moment and how amazing he looks? We totally can. Oh my God. Like the whole, I'm just going to call him the Japanese SWAT team. When they go <laughs> after him in the, that old warehouse building, mm-hmm. Jesus, that was that I was on like the edge of my seat watching that. Cause there was, it was very much inspired by aliens. Oh, one with the 100%. colonial marines and, and everything. The, you have they even a got like the little beeping. Yeah, yep. they got the beeping device that shows them coming towards them. And yep, Destroyer uh, has a mouth coming out of a mouth that was very reminiscent of the, the xenomorphs. Yep. Yeah. Oh my god, that whole scene with them, and I love that action scene because it, it it plays up the horror aspect, like you said. And Godzilla franchise very rarely does that, mm-hmm. and I love that for it. There was a couple wonky effects here and there for it, but, you know, I'll look past it because it's the Godzilla franchise. Sure, but it was nothing as jarring as, say, like, the NASA, the NASA. scene in the last movie or yeah, the, no. or even the, I didn't even think it ever got to the point where, like, the sea louse from uh, oh, Return of Godzilla. I don't yeah. think there was anything that, that really stood out to me like that. There was a couple things that maybe looked, I think the 90s effects overall, I think if they had one, if I had one issue with them, they're very polished, a little too polished. Like I said, everything in the 90s was just kind of like sleek and shiny is the way to do it. And it's just kind of like it lacked any sort of sometimes, not all the time, but it, sometimes they would lack a little bit of a tangibility. Like I would have I would have liked Destroya sometimes when he had his mouth within a mouth thing. If that was like a little slimier, a little grosser looking, I think it maybe could have been a little more effective. But it's a minor nitpick considering overall I love the design and every scene that he inhabits pretty much. Oh, yeah, and it's really cool that we get to see it kind of evolve throughout the movie where it goes from, like, this little crab thing to a more evolved crab with pincers and giant, you know, stabby bits. Mm-hmm. That uh, That's the one that fights uh, Junior, which, oh, my God, it fucks up Junior's day, but thankfully Junior can uh, fight back 
And it's one thing I do appreciate is Junior doesn't have the same roar as Godzilla, which yeah. I made note of that. I'm like, I'm very glad they didn't go that route I mean, where those they are the just made of, him a clone. Yeah, those are the types of details they're really good about paying attention to, I think. I love his flying form that Destroyer oh, yeah. has. And that roar is actually kind of creepy and like menacing too. I think everything about him was really well realized and he is one of the more impressive creations. He's sort of like the, you know, Ghidorah of this franchise, even though, or of this era where like Ghidorah was definitely in this era, obviously, but I don't think he's ever as fearsome as Destroyer. Oh, yeah. Because when Destroyer is on screen, he steals it. Like you're looking mm-hmm. at him and I love when he's in his like final, like adult form, I guess. His wings, instead of like King Ghidorah, where they're kind of just at his side at all times, the wings actually fold back, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And they only fold out when he goes to take off or flight. Which, can we take a moment and appreciate the scaling of these guys? Mm. He towers over Godzilla. Like, he almost dwarfs him. He dwarfs Junior for sure. Well, there's a scene, yeah, where he... I wanted to ask you if this was stop motion or something. Um, there's a scene where he's, he picked up Godzilla Jr. And he's sort of like wriggling in his arms. And it kind of looks like Jr.'s maybe, like I said, like claymation or, or stop motion. I or think something. animatronic. I think okay. it's just an animatronic puppet. He looks really cool. And there's a scene where, yeah, Destroyer just drops. Him. <laughs> and it's so terrifying because, again, we're used to – they do a good job of when we see Godzilla Jr., you still feel the scale of him, you know, that he shoots him yeah. in a way so that he's still very, he still feels large and imposing like any of these. But once Destroyer comes onto the scene, you get this instant perspective of like, oh, well, Godzilla yeah. and Godzilla Jr. aren't that big. Holy shit. Yeah. One thing I did find very odd is Jr. is still only hip height on Godzilla, mm-hmm. which that's how tall little Godzilla was in the previous movie. So I was kind of bummed that they didn't make him a, you know, slightly bigger. Well, like I said, I felt like that was more of a problem with the design of the last one is by just making him a giant baby. I feel like he was almost too big in the last one and maybe not too small here, but that's, that's just my thought. Yeah. I think they also just would have had a hard time trying to use like an animatronic puppet. Like they would have had to go like full Lord of the Rings and use force perspective, which I don't think they would have been able to do. That would have been difficult, at least. But yeah, they should have made Junior like up to Godzilla's chest in this one, just to add a little more continuity and just make him a little bigger. But oh my god, dude, when the kind of jump a little further into the final battle, when Godzilla goes over to see Junior after Destroyer's killed him. Oh wait, 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 wait. We got we got a little more to get to before that. Okay. But I I totally trust me. I want to get there. There's a couple things that I I appreciated. I loved how you had all the little crab Destroyers that eventually morph into the big Destroyer. Oh yeah, that was cool. It is a bummer that we never get. And again, this is a a criticism that I don't really think is fair, just due to limitations at the time but i do wish we got to see them kind of transform i wish there was some visual yeah. more like cronenbergy type fusing of these things into one big thing i wish we got to see something like that but again we don't which is okay then there's yeah there's a couple definitely times when destroy they definitely when sorry no it's okay there's a couple times where destroy a transforms and he's just sort of like you know he'll go behind smoke or something and then pop out a different form you know and i kind of wish we actually got to see that transformation yeah, I think it just chalked up to effects and budget that they wouldn't have had the time. Because I don't know if I mentioned this in the Ghidorah review, but from Ghidorah to Destroya, 
they were all yearly releases like the Showa era. Mm-hmm. So maybe if they had taken one year off to really work on the effects or something, maybe they could have done something for that. But yeah, I do agree it's a little dumb that they do it that way. But hey, it's still pretty badass. No, it still works for me. And all the actual versions of him, I think, are really oh my god, really well realized. Destroy is easily one. He's a fan favorite, and everyone is trying to get him to show up in the monster verse because they use the oxygen destroyer there. And it's just like, guys, yeah. come on. It's like, Let how it does, naturally happen. Yeah. How, how does Star Wars get all these spinoffs of Boba Fett when he didn't do anything in the originals and then we get one Destroyer movie? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Bullshit. But yeah, I, I really loved just the realization of Godzilla Jr. in this. This was when I was the most. I think I bought into his relationship with Mickey. I think I bought into his relationship with Godzilla. All of that a lot more here simply just by the way he was brought to life. I think he's one of the, you know, aside from Destroy, he's one of the most impressive accomplishments in this film that I really, really love. And I want to go back to, before we get to the final battle, I want to go back to a Fukube score here because I think there's some really incredible moments of it. There's lots of great uses of, of the themes. And I think one of the most genius things about it is when Afukabe is not playing. I love that Afukabe knows when to let silence be silence. And this movie, I would say, has the most, the largest lack of music. And again, I feel like for some reason that just really helped with the tone of it, with the horror, with the, there's so many times when, again, there's a lot more focused horror moments here where Destroy is just fucking shit up and all we're left to hear is just like the screams of people running. And I love that. And I think that really, I think what makes a good composer is someone who knows when to get loud and triumphant and huge, but also can scale it down and can be completely absent at times. So as weird or as backhanded of a compliment as that, I think that may sound like, uh, I mean it in, you know, the best way possible is that I think, Part of a Fukube's genius is just knowing when to sit out and just let the movie tell itself. And then when we do get those big musical moments, like this fantastic moment later on of the theme winding up as Godzilla just, again, screaming and yelping in pain while he's smoking like crazy and heating up, just stomping towards Destroya for a final showdown is just one of my favorite musical moments in the whole franchise so far. Yeah, and to harken back on Fukube knowing when to be quiet, is this is a scene I forgot to mention in our Mecha Godzilla talk. But when mm-hmm. like Godzilla is trying to get to Junior, when he was in a building and everything, they didn't play music; they just let the scene play out. And I appreciate I, that. Yeah, and they do. He does a lot of that in this movie, like when they're in that warehouse going after Destroya and everything. There's no music during that fight. It's just like you just hear like the beeping and the sounds of them walking and it really does a good job of building suspense and terror for that scene. And like you said, a good composer knows when his music's needed or when it's not. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love Fukabe so much. Man, and, it's definitely a genius. Yeah, I got to admit, I got hyped when uh, Godzilla was coming to fight Destroya because it, it was playing his theme and it's just like, Yeah. It's so good. And it does the, you don't always get this with the theme, but it does the wind up to it. The And just, yeah, oh, I get hyped up. Just my hair is already standing up on my arm right now. It's that good. And yeah, I just think the whole, this movie really knows how to crescendo and just keep building up. Cause there is a, a ton of monster action in this one. 
but it it feels so much more dense and so much more substance fueled than a lot of the other so I think you kind of do get a little bit of that for me uh, you know once again it felt like I was having my cake and eating it too where I was like wow I'm emotionally invested and this is just incredible to watch I yeah there's some you know talking about destroy of flying earlier uh the scene where he's dragging Godzilla with his tail oh my god <laughs> across Jesus like a airport is is wild yeah being dragged down the runway and everything really really cool stuff here you know when Godzilla Jr. gets stabbed with destroy his mouth like in his chest and then he just has that chunk of meat missing from him for the rest oh, of the yeah. movie is awesome. So let's so let's go into I'll let you start with the you know Godzilla Jr. dying and then being found by Godzilla. Okay, so when I first watched this as a kid, I freaked out cuz I was like, "No, they just killed off his son? What?" Because I watched, I'm pretty sure I watched this back to back with um, Space Godzilla because it was on a combo pack from Sony DVDs and everything. Mm-hmm. And so that scarred me because I was like, whoa, they had the balls to kill off Godzilla's son? What? Mm-hmm. And Godzilla's not able to get to his son in time to, you know, heal him. So that's even more tragic because Destroya, you know, starts fucking with Godzilla almost instantly. And it, was, it wasn't until Godzilla wounded Destroya enough that he was able to come over and he tries to heal him and he isn't able to. And it is so sad. Like, Afukabe has some really, like, sad music playing in it. I was legit tearing up watching this scene. Like, I was just, like, I was, like, wiping my eyes going, God damn it, Afukabe. <laughs> yeah, the music, not only that, but it's Megumi Odaka, right, who plays... Yeah. Mickey. Dude, she broke my heart in this movie. Whoo! That was when I was like, "This girl can." Yeah, when act. she started, when she started crying, is when the tears started forming for me. I was like, "No, stop it! Go back!" I, I wept with her. It was beautiful. She she acts the shit out of it, and then she, as she's wiping her tears and walks away, and then says this just incredible doozy of a line. It's so simple, but is it this may be Godzilla's last battle? Yes. So she just turns and says, this may be Godzilla's last battle after wiping her tears away. And it's just so, oh man, it just adds to just the big thematic grandeur that we get in this film. And I love it so much. And was I was so surprised at how affected I was by it. That scene fucked me up. That's for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, she did such a good job. And even Ken Pachiro Satsuma's performance as Godzilla during that, you can really feel Godzilla's emotion too. Which is funny to hear about, you know, a you know, man in a rubber suit making you feeling emotions and everything. But the way they animate Godzilla's face and you see the pained expression because not only is Godzilla hurting, but he just lost his only family. Like I and said, I just, think this is the closest we get, I think, to the monsters being the stars of their own story. We don't get some shoehorned human plot in here. I mean, the plot is just this. And they even kind of backpedal, even though we do get a Super X3, which... I think is much more tolerable than the other super X's in this. I still, I thought that uh, for the most part, there's not a ton of focus on how are we going to defeat Godzilla this time? It's, it's just sort of, Oh, for once Godzilla's plight is theirs too, right? Like Godzilla's death means the death of humanity. So it's almost like they're, they sort of have to work with Godzilla, you know, and not only that, but destroy it coming around. I think one of my favorite tropes in movies is sort of when, you just have, I mean, I don't know if it'd be considered a trope because it's 
kind of broad, but you know, when you have multiple things going on at once, multiple sources of tension, whether it be just like humans bickering back and forth on how to solve a problem or, you know, two monsters fighting or one monster being on the verge of blowing up and destroying himself and an entire city. I think all of those things going down at once really help create that climactic feel of this movie that I adored so much. And yeah, they don't hold back with the action at all. It's very gritty. Godzilla like clawing at destroy it while he's just spewing yellow blood is oh yeah fucking amazing yeah um i'm glad you brought up the super x3 because there's one weird thing i gotta mention about it and that is uh masahiro takashima returns for you know this movie after being in godzilla versus mechagodzilla but he's not playing the character he played in that movie he's playing commander show from godzilla versus biolante who is in charge of the super X two and that one weird. Cause I remember asking you after we, after I watched Destroya and I was like, was I supposed to know who that guy is? And you're like, wait for the podcast. So now, now I'm like, okay, that's dumb. (laughs) I don't like that because it feels so weird. And I feel like it would have, I, yeah, I feel like I would have appreciated it more if it was the other guy, but yeah, it's weird that they went that route because yeah, the two actors look very similar. So but why? Yeah, it's just weird. It kind, of, it kind of felt like it should have been the guy who Mickey had the like, kind of romance with in the last movie. I feel yeah, like I wish they had the carried one. over more of those pilots and stuff. Yeah. Um, this. I don't know. I feel like that would have better because, again, this other guy I was just not invested in because I didn't. The movie makes a big deal out of like, oh, there's only one person who could pilot them. And then <laughs> Eric pilot it and it cuts to his face and you're like who the fuck's that guy yeah, it should have been yuki yeah that was oh don't even yeah of course yeah. i mean that's my number one choice right i would have liked both yuki and the other guy to come back in this movie the guy that piloted mogira but i'm okay that the other guy that piloted mogira but i'm okay that they're not in it i guess it's just i would've think it would have been cool yeah sure i think godzilla's spikes melting Really oh my god! I made I made note of that that it was a cool effect to see Godzilla's spines melting and everything. Yeah, and you get this ticking time bomb element of when because Godzilla continues to heat up and build up with nuclear energy, right? And when he gets to, they say that when he gets to twelve hundred degrees is when he's going to blow. So yeah. you just you know they'll be in the middle of a fight and you're kind of worried about like, oh no, is Destroyer going to kill Godzilla? And then they show you the they cut to just the. I guess Godzilla thermostat going up. Yeah. And the you know, then you're like, oh shit, we gotta worry about that too. So again, that it's just those multiple levels of tension just kind of hitting you all at once from different directions really creates a, a suspenseful moment. One thing I really wish they had done with this movie was left in the alternate ending. So this is not only does Godzilla lose, but he doesn't even get the W against Destroya. The military is the ones who take out Destroya, which, I mean, it makes sense for the plot of the movie, mm-hmm. but they left out the scene where Godzilla just goes berserk on Destroya and just obliterates him, and I really wish they left it in there, because it was right after he sees dead Junior, and so, so I felt that would have made more sense that Godzilla just seeing his own son dead would just go absolutely berserk with his... Yeah. Because in this movie, he has what is known as the infinite heat ray. Which, mm-hmm. as Godzilla, so he's just got so much power in him. Every time he uses his heat ray, it's hotter than the last. And so he just uses that to 
blow the fuck out of Destroya, and it would have been cool to see Godzilla kind of get his final victory before he dies. So I, I do agree it would have been cool, and I actually made a note of that too, that I thought it was kind of lame at first that the military killed Godzilla. However, as we're kind of talking about it, I've developed an alternate perspective on this. Because mm. I think what's, like I said, what makes this movie so captivating is the fact that Godzilla being on the verge of detonating, essentially, creates this interesting tension where, like I said, it's now both the human's problem and Godzilla's problem. So for once, they're sharing this thing that they have to fight, right? Which is not only a physical manifestation of Destroya, but also a more surreal manifestation of just kind of like, well, I mean, I guess also another literal manifestation, but another sort of threat that they both have to deal with is Godzilla himself. And even it's Godzilla versus Godzilla in a way too, because he's now causing his own body to do this. So what I think is so interesting about the military actually finishing the job, I think in a way, this is sort of the military realizing that they have more in common with and just sort of people realizing that they have more in common with Godzilla partially because they created him and partially because he is just another being like us on this world trying to figure shit out and I also love it because it's sort of like an apology you know this whole movie he's treated as this enemy which he very much represents in the first few or this whole era and which he very much represents in the first couple movies of the Hayes era but as they go on he becomes more sympathetic and Again, he's treated more like just a misunderstood animal. And I think that this was their way of kind of acknowledging that and realizing, okay, well, we're in this fight with Godzilla. Let's do this for him. You know, him dying officially doesn't help anybody involved, including us. So let's sort of do this together. And I kind of feel like that worked for me, thinking of it from that perspective. And it was kind of like the humans getting their redemption, other than just being this shoot first, ask questions later kind of people that we see in. Godzilla versus Mothra that turned even Mothra, the sweetest of monsters, into a rampaging maniac for a little while. So I think that was kind of a beautiful moment of having them kind of, you know, Godzilla's already in this conflict of like dying and them protecting him was interesting. And it was also a flip where we normally see either Godzilla destroying or protecting the humans. We've seen the humans trying to destroy Godzilla. Now, finally, we get to see them protect him which was pretty interesting. And it's rare that we see Godzilla vulnerable. So I think that was a really nice touch to kind of come full circle as we finally see him just to the point where he's like this weakened gazelle just getting the shit kicked out of him and the humans getting to step in and kind of redeem themselves a little bit. And and maybe even his eyes, like maybe when Godzilla goes out, he might have this conscious thought of like, oh, like they, they helped me this time, you know? Um, so I thought that was I thought that was interesting. So that's my kind of take on it. Yeah, that's actually a really good take. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, I it's, think so. I think watching it again, I might go into it with that context now, and it might change my opinions on it and everything. Sure, and I I think I don't know. And again, remember, even before I had seen Destroy, I was starting to feel like this whole the whole Heisei era was about humans' relationship with Godzilla. And what better way to sum it up than that? So yeah, and. Uh, Let's talk about Godzilla's meltdown because yeah. that was that was beautiful in the most like hauntingly sad way. So, like we said, they have a ticking time on watching Godzilla's heat rise and everything. Mm-hmm. And when he hits twelve hundred degrees, they all put their freezing weapons on Godzilla and try and cool him down as much as they can while he more essentially just melts from within. 
because like we see his spikes slowly melting which has a cool effect if you just see the radiation coming out of godzilla as his spikes are melting mm-hmm. and then oh it's so like graphic too because you see like the skin peeling to reveal his muscle and then just like he's like he's not dead during this he's very much alive and you can just you hear like a pained roar as he's just being reduced to like liquid basically because his body just can't handle it yep and the humans are shooting those cooling beams at him and you get those you almost get this sort of this feeling of regret from them having to having to do this and having to like i mean obviously they're not their weapons this time aren't what's causing him to die yeah, they're but trying to. It's almost sad that again they're they're trying to like make his death easy on him, which is like yeah. as well as obviously they're doing it for their own selfish reasons. But I think it does become a little bit of like I said, like a shared conflict there that they're trying to. They're like, trying to ease Godzilla's pain while he dies. And... Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then he just you know this the smoke fills and a uh, uh, score swells, and you get this. Oh, yeah, it's just it, beautiful. It really is, and that final shot where it's just him roaring and all his skin melts away to where he's just bone. It's just, oh, it's haunting. That scene will just stick with me for my entire life of watching God's, because like I said, I was 10 to 12 years old when I saw this and <laughs> this is scarred you. Yeah. It just scarred me. And it was just like, I, I never thought Godzilla. I knew he would lose. I just mm-hmm. never thought they would have the balls to kill him. Like this is, probably the most permanent death they've ever had for Godzilla. And it was very impactful. And again, helps to make this continuity concrete. And like, I think you could watch, I think someone could never watch a Godzilla movie. And then I think they could maybe watch, maybe watch Gojira and then watch just the Heisei era. And you'd have a pretty complete experience, I think overall. Cause I think that's outside of the Heisei era. That's the only Gojira is the only one that these movies really reference. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's Gojira and then the seven Heisei films, and that's the entire continuity. Now, I do want to talk about the final, final shot, because this, to me, was one of the coolest moments in this entire, and I also think really helps this movie come full circle, and really this era and the franchise as a whole come full circle. If this was the last, I want to say as a side note, if this was the last Godzilla movie we watched and this was the only, this was the last one they had made, I would be so happy with it and I would feel so satisfied. This was supposed to be that. Yeah, and it feels that way. And so the smoke clears, Godzilla melts away. We don't get any music. The camera has this slow pan into the smoke and we begin to see a silhouette of what looks like Godzilla. We see the spikes, we see the face, but we slowly have the realization that this is Junior fully evolved into what Godzilla was. And we get a big triumphant roar with a silhouette against this back, like white light coming from behind him and the smoke. And then we cut to credits and we hear the theme. And it was fantastic. (laughs) I thought it was such a beautiful way to send this movie off. And so... Just again, like everything else in this movie, brilliantly subdued in a way it didn't have to be. In a way that it totally could have been this big over-the-top moment with like the Godzilla theme playing as he stomps out of the smoke and then off to the water. They totally could have done that, but oh, they yeah. didn't. They didn't, and they did it in a way more artistic way that I really, really appreciated, and it resonated with me like to my core. I just sat there in silence as 
the end credits cut. And then of course we get a bunch of original clips from the original Gojira and all of, after seeing, you know, Godzilla's death to the rise of junior Godzilla as this is now a full Godzilla and in his final form, if you will. And then of course the end credits just showing all these Gojira clips. It just, it felt like I was experiencing like this, it felt like watching something like Avengers Endgame or something like that. Like it just gave me this climactic feel that I was, I was satisfied and I was like, cool, I can, that gave me literally everything I could have asked for. And I think the ending was such a beautiful way to kind of not make you feel just depressed. You know, this movie is depressed, but I also think it's, it's beautifully hopeful and you know, with all the sense of loss and grief you get from watching this movie, you also, you know, in finality, you also get this little glimmer of hope at the end. And I think it says a lot of things. It's like, oh yeah, like now he could also be another threat to humanity. Who knows how Junior's going to take all this, but it's interesting that now this is, it just, it's very cyclical and it's very, you know, it's, it's an interesting way to kind of send us off into wondering what the future would be both in a hopeful and potentially in the future destructive way again who knows yeah and something i do want to talk about was wasn't there no sound during that shot wasn't it like it as it's slowly zooming in you slowly hear godzilla's roar and then like right as it finally almost gets face to face with junior you hear godzilla's roar and then it cuts isn't that how it yeah. does it yeah i think it's right, something yeah. along those lines not gonna lie when i first watched this I didn't realize that was supposed to be Junior. Really? I thought it was supposed to be Godzilla's spirit giving like one last roar before he, because the way they shot it, how it's all like very atmospheric. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, clouds around him. I thought it was supposed to be his ghost giving his last, like almost like saying thank you to the military for cooling him down. And then before he goes off in the afterlife, I totally thought that's how my mind took that scene when i was younger and do you still feel that way yeah because interesting yeah because i I don't know i just i never realized i was supposed to be junior because i do know now that i you know obviously i'm well aware of the franchise and everything Mm -hmm. toho wanted to do a series where it followed junior as the lead okay they want that so that was set up to them wanting to do that for so so at least maybe even a movie so it is technically canon that that was Junior at the end. Yes. But given that they don't do that after, it does allow interpretation, I think. And yeah, so that's, that, still so that's, totally... so that's another reason why I still kind of view it that way is I like that. never got to go with the Junior route that they wanted. Sure. So that's always been kind of my takeaway of the ending. Cool. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it was something like that, but I don't know. I really liked... I like both, honestly, both work for me in a way. It kind of could be both at the same time, you know, like, I mean, maybe because there's even so because what I thought it was, was there's that shot when Godzilla goes to mourn over. Yeah. And he's uh, breathing the radiation into Junior. Exactly. So that's what I thought that was. And that that explained his sort of evolution. But again, I think it, it totally works on both levels. And it is kind of him putting a little bit of not just like literal radiation, but also a little bit of a spirit into Junior. So you could argue that, yeah, it's it's, it's both. At the yeah, end. see, when he does that, when he's breathing the radiation into Junior, I mm-hmm. view it as he's trying to bring his son back. Mm-hmm. If he had been able to get there sooner, he might have been able to. But he was, you know, he wasn't able to get there right off, so he wasn't able to heal his son. Mm-hmm. So that's why... I always viewed it as 
at the very end. That was his spirit kind of hmm. giving one last hurrah before, you know, disappearing. I think just the fact that we're able to even have a conversation about an ending of a Godzilla movie that is ambiguous is really cool. Uh, I, yeah. kinda, I, I really like that. And you don't get that a lot with this movie. And I think that's, or with these movies. And I think that's another reason why I really appreciate this one. Yeah. All right, man. So well, that, I'm just, I'm, I'm really glad to say that I made you into a Godzilla fan. This, okay. It is official. Yes. I will announce I am officially in it. Like I love this franchise. I think no matter, even if there's one that I don't, even if I don't connect with another one, as much as some of my favorites already throughout, I really get why this franchise is special. And I know that even if I'm, you know, I could, I could hate every movie from the millennium and Rewa series. Who knows? I mean, I little spoiler alert. I have seen Shin Godzilla, so I know I don't hate that. But however, that being said, I do think that I'm just on board. I'm like ride or die with this franchise. I really appreciate it. And I think I'll find an appreciation or something to admire in all of these, regardless of my thoughts from of them critically, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think I totally understand why the Heisei era is so many people's favorites. Now, uh, again, it does feel like its own franchise, separate, uh, you know, unique until itself. It, it really, I love the idea that all of them connect to one of the other movies in one way or another. There's just this very good consistency, a pretty, you know, pretty good consistency and quality. As we talked about a few of them, I feel like there were a couple missed chances of like bringing back maybe fan favorites from certain movies, but obviously these are all, you know, a couple of them are different directors, different ideas, different visions, which yeah, you're still going to get, but that being said, you still get the continuity out of it. And I don't think franchises were set up to the way they are now where they're a lot more shared. So it would have made, you know, back then it might, might not have even been their first thought. No, you don't, you don't have an overlord like, you know, John Favreau or uh, uh, what's his face, Kevin Feige kind of sitting there pulling the strings uh, or, yeah. and make, making sure everything is perfectly woven together. And in a way, I think that allows for a little more creativity because if I have one criticism of the Marvel franchise, it's that they do all kind of feel same, same after, after a while. while. Yeah. And even though these movies do all feel connected and all have like, you know, when you're watching a Heisei era movie, they definitely don't feel they definitely all feel touched by a different artist. You know, they definitely all feel crafted by people with different things in mind and different priorities and in, in their storytelling. And I think that gives you kind of this really full range of everything the show had, but in a more compacted form of just seven movies with a lot more consistency and a lot less duds than the yeah. show era had. Oh yeah. The show era had way so many duds compared to this one. <laughs> yep. So yeah, without further ado, let's, uh, Let's rank some Godzilla movies. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm going to do what I did last time and count down for him and start from my least favorite. The, my last two were hard for me, but I think just because I connected slightly more with one than another, uh, I think my final one or my, uh, my number seven is going to be Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. Again, I think this was the most, this one felt like the most hollow experience for me. I think it had, all the surface level Godzilla stuff that I wanted out of it, but just nothing much deeper than that. Number six, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. I feel very similarly to this one, but I had a few things to hold on to, and I had Yuki, which that alone was kind of enough to to boost that up for me a little bit. Number five, I got Return of Godzilla. Thought this was a great way to kind of kick off a new era, and the fact that this is this low on the list 
still being a pretty solid movie. I feel like just goes to show how good this era is and how solid these are, but it definitely didn't. I liked kind of having the doom and gloom back, but it, it really made me want more of the craziness that I knew Godzilla was capable of. So speaking of craziness that Godzilla is capable of, my number four is Godzilla versus Biollante. I thought this one was beautiful and creative and unique for about 60% of it. And then the other stuff I didn't care about so much. I think that this movie, more than any of them, to your comment of some of these could have used rewrites, I would have really liked to see this one rewritten, just sharpened up a little bit. Just a little more polished. My number three is Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's totally dumb. It's a total blast. It even had a little bit of like absurd goofiness of some of the cornier ones of the show era, but I just had so much fun with it that I didn't care about the dorky Terminator ripoff guy and how bad he looked running <laughs> or some of the more dopey time travel elements. I think overall, I just really had a lot of fun with it. And Mecha King Ghidorah is one of the coolest looking things I've ever seen in my entire life. Then my number two, to the surprise of no one, is Godzilla versus Mothra. I love Mothra. I'm a giant fanboy and it's incredible. I think the music really, really carries this film, but it also does a lot of heavy lifting on its own with other elements like captivating characters, at least captivating enough. You know, these aren't like super complex. You're not getting any, you know, like Michael Corleone's here, but you're getting some, you're definitely getting some interesting arcs and great effects. And I thought the dynamic between Mothra, Batra, and Godzilla was all very well done. And then of course, number one, as I already spoiled, is Godzilla vs. Destroya. I, as everything we just said, I have very little complaints with this movie and I don't think that any of the complaints I do have with it would taint it enough for me in further rewatches. Like I said, I've already rewatched the last half hour and just love it more. So this really is one of my favorite Godzilla movies we've watched so far. Good list. Good list. Yeah. For me. So like I said earlier, this is my favorite era of Godzilla and trying to choose how to rank them is like trying to choose your favorite kid. Cause these are all going to probably be in my top 15 going through my, you know, ranking of the entire franchise. But yeah, so anyway, I'll, I'll do it the same way you did. Start with the least favorite up to the, my favorite. So at number seven, shockingly, I have the return of Godzilla. And the only reason I have it at the bottom is it feels a little too different from the rest of the Heisei era, mainly because it's like a different Godzilla suit design compared to the rest of it. So it, it just feels a little disjointed compared to it. I can see that. Then at number six, I have Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, and it's just some of the time travel stuff, you know, didn't help it to me, and like that. M11 being his <laughs> wonky run. I mean, like I said, a lot of these are going to be in my top 15 favorite Godzilla films. But there are some issues that I have that hold some from being, you know, my real favorite. Then at number five, I have Destroya. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah but again, don't forget the context. This is yep. all going to be oh, like... I know. My... I, know. <laughs> I um, know this is paining you to say this to yeah. rank these that low on any list. Yeah. So this, is, this was by far the hardest I had for ranking them up until the top three. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of these you can just kind of switch around and... I'll, I'll enjoy them no matter what. Sure. But uh, so yeah, destroy at number five, number four, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, and I I, I ranked it up just a little higher than Destroya because it reminded me of that 
classic like Showa era charm. Okay. Even though it wasn't, you know, amazing. Yeah. When I had that revelation of it kind of reminded me of the Showa era, it was like, yeah, yeah, I I can fuck with that. It contextualizes it a little more for you. Yeah. All right. And so these last three, it's in this order because you can't go wrong with them, in my opinion. Godzilla versus Mothra, because that one is just truly... When Godzilla's with Mothra, it's like one of the best movies out there. It always works. It always works. Yeah. And by the power of childhood nostalgia, I have at number two, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Okay. And then number one is Biollante. Wow. Number one, huh? Yeah. That movie, I don't know. Like I said, when we were first started talking about it, it I just clicked with it and loved it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably, if you were to rank these before your recent rewatches, it would probably be pretty different, huh? Yeah, I think um, Mechagodzilla would have been number one, Mothra number two, maybe Destroya number three. I was going to say, Biolante wouldn't even be like top three for you, right? No, no, yeah. Biolante probably would have been four or five. Wow. Maybe even That's six. Awesome. But yeah, Return of Godzilla, I've always had a respect for it, but it's always, to me, been the weakest of the Heisei era. I can get, I can get that. I think the reason I ranked it so high was just those first the two return of were... the, Yeah, the return of how it felt very much like the original yeah which I, I totally get yeah and i feel like it had just a couple more defining characteristics and i really like the score a lot in it too um there are a lot of elements i think and see to me i i didn't like the score that much either really? so there's I mean, a I, lot of there's a lot of stuff that kind of just held it back from it was a worthy sequel to the original but i would prefer watching the original over this one any day that's fair i can see these shuffling around a lot for me I think I I can't see Destroya going. Oh yeah, going anywhere. Uh, and it's gonna be always gonna be hard to beat out a Mothra movie. But I mean, I could already just talking about him now. I could I could maybe see something beating out Ghidorah as my number three. I think I just really had a lot of fun with it when I first watched it. But you know, I also had fun with Space Godzilla and and Biollante, So who knows? But yeah, um, I I feel the same way on these ones all switching around like num- the top three for me i could probably depending on the day switch them around but those are the three i'd always have sure where the other ones i love them all so it's just like uh which one do i want to put over this one and but yeah yeah i think i don't know again it just goes to show how like this this era is just so complete and really is consistent and it kind of feels like that sweet spot you're in in the Showa era where they feel like a consistent franchise of like three movies, you know, this, you feel that through almost all seven, aside from, like you said, like Return of Godzilla definitely feels like the most disconnected one from these, but I definitely feel like all together, they, they do pretty seamlessly go well together. Oh yeah. Most cohesive the franchise has ever been up until the MonsterVerse. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, uh, once again, had a total fun time with this series of movies. I feel as though we're already nearing the end, and I hate that feeling. Same, same. We have, (laughs) I think, 13, maybe 14 movies left, and I'm just like, no, I want more. Yeah, which in Godzilla numbers is like three movies, you know? So it's like, it, it feels, the fact that we're already not just over halfway but significantly over halfway yeah we're 22 of the 35 released films yeah now we do still have the the king kong movies that we'll be watching before godzilla versus kong however those are going to feel like a totally different experience 
Oh, definitely, definitely. But I am looking forward to them nonetheless. So yeah, everyone, thanks again for tuning in, for listening to this point. If you've, if you listen all the way, if you're a friend or family, we appreciate you. Uh, if you're not, we appreciate you too. So thank you so much for, you know, however you found us. And we hope that we can eventually pick up a, a comfy fan base and, and people we can talk monsters with and fun movies with every week. I will give us a shout out for we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook now. Yep, uh, all at not buff pod yep not buff pod is our at handle so you can get us there and yeah much i run the twitter page wes doesn't leah work the uh instagram yeah my girlfriend leah has been crushing it on her instagram lately and in like the first week already picked us not even a first a whole week like picked us up like 100 followers which was cool yeah she's Uh, killing it she's doing a great job (laughs) i don't uh i'm terrible with social media so that's very appreciated (laughs) so shout out to her and we are, as you probably know, if you're listening to this, uh, we're on Spotify, but we're also working on getting ourselves on Apple Podcasts and stuff in the future. And we look forward to our next episode where we talk the Godzilla Millennium era, which I honestly have no idea what to expect about this one. I've seen Final Wars a long time ago, but I, yeah. I, something tells me that they're not all quite that absurd. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That one was that one's its own its own beast to tackle. <laughs> I believe it. So either way, looking forward to that. Probably going to start that tomorrow, so that'll be exciting. And oh, yeah. shout out to Matt as always. Matt Williamson, my good artist friend. He did the artwork for the first Showa Arrow, which was or our Showa Arrow episode, which was awesome. He also did it for this one, which he knocked was, out of the park. Yeah, he, we were both extra impressed with it. It looks so fucking cool with Burning Godzilla. So very excited for his continued help with that. And for everyone listening involved, if you know us, if you don't, we appreciate and love you all the same. And this is just a fun platform. We're not really worried about, you know, being some massive, getting some massive cult following. We just want, yeah, you know, we just want a group of people to hang out with and talk about geeky stuff and who like hearing us talk about geeky stuff. So thank you for you know any contribution to this and we really look forward to seeing you next time on escape to monster Monster Island. island thanks guys bye